You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. If you're newer or new, or maybe you've been in church for a long time, I don't know, but uh, just felt the need to tell you guys that the people that are up on this platform, we're not up here and we don't come up here and do what we do uh, because we think we're better than anyone else. Um, uh, we don't do it because we are better than anybody else. It's, it's not an ego trip for us. Uh, we, I, I stink. I, I'm pretty sure I know David well enough to know he stinks too. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we, we're, we're fulfilling a responsibility that we feel like God has called us to be devoted to this message that we talk about through everything we do. And we just want you to get that and engage with that. And uh, we love it and we're passionate about it. Um, and that's, this morning is no different. And what we're talking about this morning is no different. I was thinking about our theme for this morning and uh, we've been really taking a, a close look at the events leading up to the cross and uh, what Jesus did for us. And David talked about putting a serving towel over your arm and serving like Jesus did at that last meal he had with his disciples. And uh, of course, they, they had that meal together, and we've talked about that. Between uh, David talking about that and, the, and this moment of me standing up here, we've had communion twice now, uh, to focus on that very important thing that Jesus told us to do. And now we get to this point where uh, communion is over, and the Last Supper is over, and uh, it's showtime, so to speak. Like the cross is looming. It's there for Jesus. And I was thinking about that and the broken bread last week and you know, the broken will this morning. And uh, I was thinking of when I was a kid, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you've you got to have, uh, first service seemed a little sketchy on this, I wasn't sure that they were able to dig this out of their memories, but um, when you were a kid, did you have a moment when there was something that your parents or parents felt like you really needed to do, it was the right thing to do, and so much so that they thought it was the right thing to do that it didn't matter whether you thought it was the right thing to do, they were going to make you do this thing, and you didn't want to do it? Uh, you were kind of bucking against that. Do you ever have a moment like that when you're a kid or multiple moments where your parents are like, this is the right thing to do and you're going to do it. And you're like, no, I really don't want to. And you fussed and you kicked and you screamed. Your parents are like, no, this is right. We believe this is right and you have to do it. And I was thinking about this time that I think I was in like third or fourth grade. I was walking home with this kid named Scotty. And uh, he was kind of like, if you're here and your name's Scotty, you're probably a troublemaker. Um, Scotty is kind of a troublemaker. He's a great friend of mine, but he's, he's, he, he liked to be mischievous, mischievous and devious. And so we're walking home from school. It was wintertime, and we walked by the same house every day. And uh, the front of this house, like many of our houses do, had like a storm door with a pane, you know, uh, and a thin metal pane, and then the window. And uh, when something hits against that pane or that, it just makes a loud crack, a loud noise, because just the material that it is. And so we were walking by, and he just said, like, hey, let's, uh, and we knew who lived there. It was like this older woman who lived there alone. And he was like, you know, let's, let's throw some snowballs at this door. And, uh, you know, just like, okay, you know. Um, and I wasn't a bad kid. I just, you know, it was his fault. <laughs> he led me into it. <laughs> Blame it on Scotty, right? He was the bad kid. And uh, he was like, let's throw some snowballs at this door. So I was like, okay, you know, mindlessly like we do. You know, teenagers, you know what I'm talking about because you're still doing that sometimes. You're like, I don't know why I did that. So uh, we got the snowballs and we whipped a few of them at this door. And they, and they delivered the sound that we were kind of expecting. Bang, bang, bang. You know, how horrible. She's probably in there taking a nap or something or drinking tea and hear us, these idiots out here, throwing stuff at her front door and boom, boom, boom. And we went, we thought we were hiding, kind of jumped behind a snowdrift that really wasn't hiding us. And uh, of course, she came to the door. 
um, which is what you don't want, but you really want when you're doing something like that because you want attention. You know, it's like, okay, we're bad. So, boom, 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 we're hiding. And she came out, and she's angry, you know? So she's like yelling. I don't know what she was saying, but she was mad. You could tell. And, uh, of course, it was like, oh, what do you do at that point? You run, right? You run as fast as you can. You run away. Well, she saw us. She knew who she, we were just because she sees us walking around. So I get home. We, I, he ran to his house, and I ran to my house. Get home. I felt terrible. And uh, I was like, man, that just wasn't right. There was something inside me. I was like, that wasn't the right thing to do. So I go to my dad, and um, I feel like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this situation. And I'm going to go and tell my dad what I did. And, uh, you know, it's close to my dad. I feel like I can talk to him. So I went and confessed to him, told him what I had done, told him what happened, told him how bad I felt or whatever. And he listens. And the whole thing, he said, okay. He said, get your coat on. Put your stuff on. I was like, why? <laughs> Where are we going? And uh, he was like, get your stuff on. We're going to take a walk. And, uh, you know, that feeling, you start having, like, what is happening right now? And uh, I was like, ah, where where, where are we going? Where are we going? He said, we're going to go, and we're going to knock on her door, and you're going to tell her you're sorry. Holy smokes, man. The feelings in in that moment, like, I'm looking for a window to jump out of, you know? It's like, there is nothing worse, all right? Death is better than me having to go and knock on this door and look this woman in the face and say, I'm an idiot, and I'm sorry for doing what I did. Oh my goodness, I'll never forget the excruciating feel. I begged him. I, I think I cried and I begged. I was like, Dad, please, please, I don't want to do this. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I don't have to do blah, 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 blah. And he was very resolute, just very calm. He didn't freak out or whatever. He's like, Get your stuff on. This is what we're doing. And so I lost that battle. So, you know, that walk, oh, that walk going to her house was just so difficult, you know, and getting out of the front door and, you know, knocking on that pain. <laughs> Not too hard. <laughs> and uh, she comes to the door. She immediately recognized who I was, and, you know, he's like, go ahead, you know, so I apologized to her, and it was so traumatic and difficult, but, of course, it, you know, when I did that, I was like, man, like, that was the right thing to do, and, uh, you know, I, I could look at her from that point. We're walking by during the different months of the year. I didn't have to be ashamed. I didn't have to avoid her house because she was very gracious, you know, and she saw what was going on there and kind of let it happen, and I apologized to her, and it was a cool thing to do. My dad broke my will, and uh, it needed to be broken at that point. And God, God has something awesome in mind for us in every area of our lives. But the thing is, when we figure out what that is, God doesn't break our will for us most of the time. Once we recognize his will, we have to choose to break our will. And, and let me stop and say this uh, before we move on, because I'm not going to talk about this a whole lot. This is not what this message is about, but I think it's important to say that The process of figuring out what God's will is, is supremely important. Take the time, spend the money, do whatever it takes to figure out what God wants you to do. And we're going to talk about once you figure out what that is, what to do after that. But take that time. That's why we have, you have the scriptures that we talk about every week. That's why you have a community like this. That's why you have people in your life that love God. That's why we have prayer All of these things are for us to seek God and just do whatever it takes to figure out, God, what do you want from my life? How do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? And then there will come a point, and I believe this with all my heart, that if you do that passionately and you mean it, I believe with all my heart that he will speak to you. He will show it to you. If you're honest and sincere and open-hearted, God will always answer that question. He will always lead you and guide you and direct you, but it's a process. So this broken will... That God doesn't always, he just kind of lays it out there for us, and we look at his will, and we look at our will, and we're faced with a choice. Whose will will I choose at this point? And that's, that's the point where we're talking about in Scripture today, uh, where Jesus came to, 
And the question is, what do we do when we see what God wants us to do, or we, we suspect or we see it coming, that what God wants us to do is different than what our will wants to do? What do we do when we realize that our will doesn't match the will of God? That what we really want to do does not match what God wants out of our lives and what he wants us to do. Jesus showed us how to do this. He showed us what needs to be done in those moments and those seasons of our lives, and it's multiple moments, it's multiple seasons, that our will rubs up against the will of God, and something has to give. Jesus showed us what to do. So you can turn to Matthew chapter 26, and actually you can stay camped out there. If you're not using the app, which I recommend, you can use the Riverside app, and you'll see all the scriptures right in front of you using a paper Bible or electronic Bible, you can just stay in Matthew 26. We'll look at a couple other scriptures, but they'll be on the screen. We're just going to walk through uh, some of the verses in Matthew 26 here. But to set the stage here, uh, Jesus' ministry is over. It's, it's at a conclusion, his earthly ministry. Uh, he's gone out into the wilderness. You can read the stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's gone out into the wilderness. The devil tempted him and tried to get him to bail on God's plan. He stood firm. He did not do that. Uh, different points along the way, Jesus had a choice to make about whether it was going to be his will or God's will, uh, but further out, you know, years out or, you know, months out from what was going on, Peter came to him at one point and was like, hey man, don't go to Jerusalem. And Jesus had a choice to make at that point. And he said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. I'm not doing, like, I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm focused on it and I have to remain true to what God sent me here to do. Um, when he taught the prayer, and he said, this is how you should pray, and he taught the people how to pray. He taught the people that were listening to him to pray. Let your kingdom come, God. Let your will be done. That's what he taught. So these were all moments during his ministry, little, little parts of the process where we have choices to make. But it's getting closer and closer and closer and closer to the actual event. Game time. Staring the cross in the face. It's about to happen. He gets to the upper room. He lays out, takes the Passover meal, transforms it, explains it to them, uses, you know, as he's holding that cup, dude, it's like tomorrow. This is happening. My blood, like this is coming. He's holding the bread. So this, pro and even he gets through the Last Supper and he's still committed and focused. We're going to pick up in the last phase of the process of Jesus' will being broken to match God's will. And we find this in, in Matthew 26, in verse 36, it's showtime. It says that Jesus went with his disciples after they had the Last Supper to a place called Gethsemane. It was a place that they went a lot. They would go hang out there and, and spend time. There's kind of a retreat for them. And so they went there again and uh, basically just waiting. Gethsemane, we're going there. We're, we're just sitting around waiting for the, for the difficult event to arrive. He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, John and James, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And I think it's important not to quickly gloss over these very descriptive words that are being used here to describe Jesus' emotional state as he considers what the will of God is and what his will is. Sorrowful and troubled. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you look at these accounts, you see how Jesus' state of mind was, you see a lot of words like that, deep emotional words to describe what he's feeling in that moment. It says that he was sorrowful and he was troubled. Then he said to them, he says this out loud, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Wow. I am sure 
that there was never a time in Jesus' ministry where they were seeing this kind of, of visceral difficulty, emotional difficulty. Jesus was strong. He healed. He spoke with authority, and they're watching him literally fall apart emotionally in front of them, struggle, deal with some very, very deep things, and he says, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That is, that's as bad as it gets. The point in your life where you get, where you're saying, I would rather die then go through what I have to go through right now. I, I am so troubled that, that I can imagine that even death would be better than what I'm feeling right now. I'm struggling so badly. Sorrow and death. It says, Luke adds this part. He reports another part of this when he says in Luke, Luke 22, 44, and being in anguish. You know, we're talking about fall to the ground, gut-wrenching anguish. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And whether you believe that was a metaphor to say he was sweating bullets, or whether blood vessels were breaking and actually blood was mixing with his sweat, either way, the point is clear that Jesus was messed up in a big way emotionally considering what was coming. The weight of the world, the weight of our sin, consider, I mean, he knew what crucifixion was. Right? Everyone knew what crucifixion was. It wasn't a secret. And he knew what was about to happen. He knew what was going to be said to him. He knew that the people that he loved and created, what they were about to do to, that, to him. And he was feeling all of that, and it was just crushing him. And, and the thought that I, that I want to drive home there is that breaking your will really stinks in a huge way. And that's theology. That's just good. You might not read that in a theology book, but that's good theology right there. It, it's horrible. It stinks worse than anything else. When, when the part of us, our human nature, that believes that something needs to be done has to be snapped, broken, crushed, it is excruciating to go through this. So hard to have our will broken. The Bible refers to this theme as dying to self. And the word death, that concept is chosen purposely. Because there is a part of us that if we want to live for God, we want to be healthy, we want to serve him, we want to have peace and have hope and have everything that God wants for us, first, there is part of us that has to die. Part of our desires, what we want, has to die. And death is horrible and difficult. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, man, you know, like, I thought I wasn't a good follower of Jesus or, or a good Christian, you know, feeling these feelings, you know, that maybe I wasn't as good as everybody else. Everybody has to go through this. It's a normal part of the process, this breaking process, this dying process. Every human goes through it. I don't care who you are. And it's not just once. That, that human nature inside of us is, is alive and kicking, you know. Until we go to be with Jesus, until we breathe our last breath, we're always battling our desires and our will. It's always a struggle and it's always a fight. And it never gets easier, honestly. It changes, the, the battleground changes, but our will constantly needs to be broken, constantly, and it's a difficult, horrible process. And if you're here and you're on the front end of that, maybe you're new to Jesus and you haven't been through a lot of these things, let me say to you that it's normal to go through this. So when it hits, when it's time, know that this is supposed to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen your whole life. And once you go through it and you're like, phew, made it through that, get ready for the next one because it's coming. So breaking your will stinks in a huge way. And, and this next part that he says is something that I never really paid attention to before. There was something that hit me about it that's never hit me like this before. He says, stay here and keep watch with me. 
And when I was reading this passage over and over, the first thing that came to my mind that I couldn't get out of my head was how he said, you know, come with me to the garden. You guys stay there and pray. You come over here. He brings James and John and Peter close to him, and he says, stay here, watch and pray. He, he's pulling his disciples close, and he's saying, don't fall asleep. You know, be alert. Guys, don't fall into temptation. Watch and pray. And he, there's this pulling of his disciples close. And I guess before I never really focused or, or noticed much about that, thinking maybe this was, I don't know, they needed to learn something, they needed to be taught something. I'm sure those are valid things to look at here, and you could read about what people's thoughts on why he pulled his disciples so close there. But I can't get away from the thought that Jesus in this terribly difficult hour just wanted his guys with him. He just wanted to, to be close to them. He wanted someone there with him as this was happening, a sleeve to reach out and grab, someone to say, you're praying, right? Like you're with me, I'm not by myself doing this. He pulled them close. And I imagine that that's something that would connect with all of us. Breaking your will stinks even worse when you have to do it by yourself. And I think that what we all need to get out of that part of it is seek out people to go through this stuff with you. You don't have to do it alone. That's why churches exist. That's why we have small groups, and we tell you guys all the time, get into a small group. Don't wait for Gethsemane to get into a small group. Get into a small group. Start gathering people around you that love you. Listen, you, you, well, Christian, these Christians, they're hypocrites. And these people, yeah, dude, everybody's messed up. So if you're looking for a circle of friends that's perfect, and that you, you're not going to find that. So grab whoever God's put in your life with their junk and their whatever. Look at these guys. They're like falling asleep on him. When he's like, guys, I need you more than ever. And they're like, uh, I can't keep my eyes open, you know. And he's like, ah, oh, I get it, you know. Get some people around you that you know love. Here's the prerequisites. They love you and they love Jesus. They love you and they love Jesus. Get those people around you and tell them when you need their help. Tell them when you're, when you, when you're at this point and, and get them in the room. You know, those hard moments in life when you'll look back, and it's crazy how we remember this, the most defining, difficult moments in our lives. Don't you remember the faces that were there? The people that were in the room? The people that sat with you when you didn't have words and you just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed? Don't you remember the people that answered the phone when you called? Those are the people that hold us up and support us during that time. And the disciples, they tried. They did. They tried. They were tired. They were exhausted. But they hung in there. They were with him. But Jesus wanted them there. And the other side of that that I, that I want to emphasize is that when you are called to do this for someone else, be there. Don't bail. Don't bail when someone needs you in this moment, in this hour of need. It's sloppy. It's messy. You won't know what to say. It'll be awkward. It'll be hard to support them. You won't know what to do, but just get yourself and walk in there. Make sure your presence is just there. I had a friend uh, go through something with me. My dad was dying, and uh, uh, my, my good friend was, was just camped out with me all day in the waiting room of that hospital. And I'll never forget, he just sat there the whole day. He had homework. He sat in the waiting room during the surgery. And afterwards, he told me, he said, the first time your dad was sick, I was nowhere to be found. He said, I just kind of absented myself from your life the first time your dad was sick. He said, I didn't know what to do. And he said, I determined that the next time that this happened, I was not going to fail. And he didn't. He pulled through. He was right there in the thick of it all. Be that kind of person for someone else, despite the insecurities that you may have about that. So he goes on in verse 39, going a little farther, and this, this is a prayer process that's happening, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father. And Mark reports a specific term that Jesus used for father, which is Abba. 
And it's different because there's father, formal, holy, reverent, and there's Abba, which is kind of like a dad term. It's a term of affection, endearment, kind of like what I was saying to my dad, but I didn't want to go talk to that lady. Like, daddy, dad, please, like your son, feel my emotion. Don't make me do this, you know? And so he's like, Abba, he's crying out to his father out of that personal relationship. Like, is there another way? And he goes to God, and it's important to notice that he he has his disciples there, and he's struggling And the first thing he does is put his face in the dirt and cry out to God. This whole breaking of the will involves a prayer struggle. Breaking your will involves a prayer struggle. And maybe you're used more to the prayers where it's like, okay, let's sit at the table and thank God for our food, and that's cool. But there are times in your life when it gets really gritty and it needs to be intense and it needs to be real where you dig in, you say what you have to say. It's all the emotions. I mean, read the Psalms. There's anger, there's depression, there's, like, you're just, sometimes you can't even speak through your tears, and you need to dig in and have those kinds of conversations with God, where you're struggling, and I think of the Old Testament, and you haven't read this story, go look it up about Jacob, where he's facing a pivotal point in his life, and God shows up in human form. I think it was Jesus showing up to Jacob in his tent one night, physically, shows up, walks in, and they, like, fought. They're like, it was like an MMA match. They like threw each other over furniture. They're like taking swings and like trying to submit each other. It was, it's a crazy story. I love it. But the thing that I get out of that is that it's a struggle. Like he struggled with God. They fought. And finally God was like, okay, you know, set him down. And Jacob yielded to his will. The whole, the whole meaning of the name Israel, Jacob, is struggles with God. To get to the place where we need to get, we need to struggle with him. And again, you may be feeling like, man, I can't say that to God in prayer. I I feel like it's irreverent or unholy. You're not going to make it unless you do that. Unless you get with him in a room and just dig it out with him. And let it be intense and let it be real. Don't be afraid to do that. So he goes on and he says to God in that prayer, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So he's grappling back and forth. That prayer in Matthew 6.10, that he told everyone to pray, how real it got. He told them, this is how you should pray. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. And there's a big difference between coming forward and praying that at an altar. It's a bit reading it during a Sunday morning where it's like, oh, let's all read the Lord's Prayer together. It's easy to do that, and it's good for us to focus and to learn. But then it comes game time when it's like, you got to do it now. And that's where he was at. And when it came to putting his own teaching into practice, he fought through it. God, I don't want to do this. But your will be done. And it wasn't just once. And, and what that tells me is that breaking your will is a process. We make a decision at one point in our life, and then you have to make it again, and you affirm it, and you learn, and you think, and you decide up here, and you decide here. And then finally, you're looking at it. And that whole process leads you up to the point where it's like, okay, it's go time. Am I going to yield to his will? Will this real, after all the prayers at the altars, after all the scripture readings, my friends telling me and praying for me, this whole process, it gets to the point where the decision has to be made. From the wilderness to Peter asking him to stop, to him teaching the Lord's Prayer, to to all the temptations he faced leading up to this point, to turn away, turn away, bail, bail, quit. He makes it all the way through, and he gets to this final place of extreme difficulty. And he says, God, your will be done. 
Verse 40, then he returned to his disciples. So he goes and does that, returns to his disciples. He finds them praying, or finds them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Man, isn't that the truth? Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done again. May your will be done. God, I really don't want to do this. May your will be done. It's a struggle. It's a process. He goes away, prays again. My father, if it's possible for this cup to be taken away, lest I drink it, may your will be done. You may be sitting here thinking, you know, and it'd be easy to think this, like, this is so hard. My church is supposed to be like, I want to give, it, give a lift to my week, you know? I want to be like worship, like, ah, oh, isn't this supposed to be, you go and you do what God wants and like, it's good and it's fun. Like, this is kind of a downer here, you know? You're telling me if I serve Jesus, it's going to be like this terrible me in a garden with my face in the dirt thing and bleeding and stuff. Why do I need to do this? Breaking your will is so hard. Why, why do we have to do it? Breaking your will is necessary. That's why it's so important, because it's necessary. Because his will is better. When we pray, not my will, but your will be done, we do that because we realize that our will leads to sin. When we get what we want, it leads to maybe, most of the time not even true, making our lives better, but usually not, because we think it does, but it doesn't. His will is just better because he's God. He's the creator. He's the designer. He is all-knowing, all-powerful. He knows better than us. And there are plenty of examples in our world of humanity raising its fists and saying, nope, we know better. I mean, look at our world. Is it because his will is done that our world is like it is? No, it's because we let our will rule. And that's why things are the way they are. And for it to get better or start getting better, our will has to be broken. It needs to be broken. Because Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We will never know better than him. We have to trust that he knows better. And he has a better plan for our lives. He has a better plan for our church. He has a better plan for our world than we do. We have to yield to that, and it's difficult to yield what we want. Verse 43, when he came back, he again found them sleeping. Man, that's hard. You're trying to keep your head up. Isn't that torture? I've seen people do that in church. I just got to say, some of the funniest moments in my life have been in a church service where I'm not preaching, sometimes when I am, looking out and watching people battle sleep. Oh, if you had a video on YouTube, that would be incredible. I saw a dude fall asleep in a church service at this church one time. He was almost laying on the chairs. It was getting so bad. Like, he was like, and he was fighting so hard. God bless him. It's so terrible. I wanted to look at the guy and be like, just go to sleep, man. This is too difficult. So he comes and he finds them sleeping again because their eyes were so heavy. Verse 44, he left them. He went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Verse 46, rise, exclamation point. Let us go, exclamation point. Here comes my betrayer, exclamation point. Breaking your will is not some, well, you know, okay. I'll do what God wants. And the whole time it's, you know, I'm just, it's, 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 it's not a wimpy thing. Breaking your will is not being wimpy. It's being gutsy. Look what Jesus did there. There came the point where he said, your will be done. I'm done praying. He picked himself up 
off the ground, wiped the sweat off, grabbed his disciples, and let's go. He squared his shoulders, he picked up his chin, and he walked right toward them. As they came, they didn't find him slinking around in the dirt. He was standing there looking at them. Jesus, Judas came, do what you need to do. Kisses him on the cheek. Peter pulls out his sword. Put that away. Bring it. I know what's coming. It has to be done. Gethsemane's over. It's go time. And he did it with courage. He did it with spirit empowerment. He did it with toughness and resolution. And that's the way we need to be. And we don't have to do it on our own. Because once we get to that point where we say, God, my will is broken, we ask the Holy Spirit to give us strength and get up and we march into the darkness. The people that change the world for the kingdom of God throughout Scripture and today, they don't do it because they like it. There aren't people serving over and like with the sickest of the sick and the poorest of the poor because they're like, oh, this is a blast. I've given up my American life for this. There aren't people serving in shelters in this country and caring for people and putting themselves second because they enjoy it. They're doing it because their will was broken and they face it and say, you know, I'm going to do this now and I'm going to give it my all. Bring it. I'm going to give everything I have to this because it's God's will. It's my responsibility now to live out what he's called me to do. So the thing is, break your will. And the reason I emphasize the you part of that, because it could easily be said, well, wait, isn't that more like, doesn't God need to break our will? God laid it all out. Are you going to do it? Break your will. Break your will. Force it to come into alignment with what God wants. Pray that prayer, God, not my will, but yours be done. And pray it as much as you need to. And then get up and do what God wants. Don't fight him. Some of you may have spent years fighting God. You're just fighting against him. Paul did that, just kick and kick and fight. And Jesus is like, stop. Break your will and do what you were created to do. And if Jesus hadn't done this, the reason Jesus' will had to be broken in the garden is because our will is already broken. It's because we have given ourselves over to our own sinful decisions that Jesus even had to do this in the first place. If Jesus had bailed, imagine if at Gethsemane he was like, man, I just just can't. After all the teaching, and he just, he sneaks out a back way to the garden. Then we're still in our sin as we sit here. No one would be taking communion. There'd be no hope for us escaping the consequences of our sin. Because Jesus stood up and did what he needed to do, we are saved. And because our will is broken, others will come to Christ because your will is broken. Because then he can use you. And not until your will is broken will he be able to use you. Not until the will of the people in a church is broken will he be able to use that church. Not until the will of the kingdom of God, all the people that follow Jesus, is broken can he truly have his way in the world. But it starts with one person in a padded chair in a mall on a Sunday morning saying, I'm going to break my will. The domino effect of that is what changes the world. We have to go through with this. The first step in following Jesus is this. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're, you, you have not, you're still holding back. Maybe it's intellectual problems or, or like you, you can't bring yourself around to it. You've got questions, you're confused. Whatever it is that's kept you from coming to Jesus, whatever you've struggled with, your doubts, your battles, that will has got to be broken. You have to yield to him in order to see him. In order to feel him, you have to trust him. In order to experience him, you have to allow your will to be broken. You have to let go of that stuff. If you trust him, yield to his will. The question, in what area does your will need to be broken? Maybe you could put an S after area. I don't know. In what area does your will need, as you sit here this morning, what are you facing where you're like, yep, maybe it's ahead for you. 
and you're sitting here this morning and you're like, man, I, I don't want to wait until Gethsemane. I want to decide today that when this comes, I want to be ready. I want my will to be soft so that when God's will is revealed to me, I want to I jump on it. There's always work to be done in this area in our lives, whether you're brand new to Jesus or, or whether you've been serving him for a long time. In what area does your will need to be broken? Um, we're going to have an awesome time of response. I want to invite the worship team to, to come up and get ready for that. We've left uh, plenty of time for a response this morning, and they're down at the front here. There are these little wooden sticks on uh, what we call, you hear it called an altar all the time. It's because an altar is where uh, something comes to be killed, honestly. And we call this an altar is because every week we hope that people will come and pray and uh, do this, what we're talking about this morning. Have some sinful human side of us die a little bit more so we can live for God even more. That's why we call it an altar. And so down on these altars, these places of prayer here, where we die to self, there are these sticks, and they're just big enough for you to write something on. And that question, in what area does your will need to be broken? I want to invite you this morning to get out of your seats during the worship and come forward and take one of these, these sticks, and there are pens down here, Sharpie markers down here. I want to invite you to, to write on there what area of your life, and maybe, maybe you flip it over, maybe you fill it, I don't know, where you feel like the Holy Spirit would say to you this morning, your will needs to break in this area. Maybe for you, maybe for you this is a general commitment, where you're like, you know, there's nothing specific, but I feel like, I, I want to be in this place all the time, I want to stay in this place. Maybe you're here, and, and you're, this could be your first time ever making a decision to come to Jesus for real. Maybe even sit in the church for a while, but you and God both know that you're really not fully connected to him. But there's this area that you just haven't let your will be broken. Maybe it's the big one. I'm a sinner. I need God. I need Jesus. And maybe you just write everything on here. And we're going to invite you to do that, and at some point during the next few minutes, to snap that. And maybe you throw the pieces, and we have buckets up here. If you want to just walk away from this this morning, write it down. This begins the process of me struggling through this. I'm beginning that process of yielding, and you throw it in the bucket, and you walk away. Maybe you take it with you. Put it in a purse, in a pocket, as a reminder that you told God, your will be done in this area. Your will be done. So I don't know what it is specifically that you'd like to pray for this morning, but we want to invite you to do that. And uh, when I... I'm going to pray, and when I say amen, uh, we just want to, actually, why don't you stand now, and that'll make it easier for you to move around. You can stand now, because we're going to worship, and I'm going to pray, and feel free to, to create space. If you want to take the stick back to your seat, find some place in the room, but th- this is a place of prayer for you for the next few minutes, and I want to encourage you to utilize that, and don't feel awkward stepping over people getting out. Everyone in your row understands what's about to happen, so they'll make room for you to get out. But have a conversation with Jesus. Have a conversation with God. Start a conversation with Jesus this morning. God, I pray for the people that are in here that need to begin this process for the very first time. They're considering yielding to your will when it comes to their lives and the acknowledgement of who you are. I pray that they would make that decision to step forward and to let their will to be broken and, and experience as a result all of your fullness all of your hope, all of your peace, all of your awesomeness. Break loose in their lives. Forgive their sin. Give them a brand new start. 
for everyone else who's coming forward saying, God, forgive me for holding on to this will. God, give me strength, what I'm walking into. God, may your will be done in this relationship, in my family, at work. May your will be done. God, I'm not going to give up fighting this addiction. I will not. I will fight. I will fight. I will fight. I'm not giving in. God, for those who pray those kinds of prayer this, this morning, I pray they would feel your strength and your presence as they reach out to you and cry out to you in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.